From New York City, welcome to Mark to Markets. I'm your host, Mark Penziner. On this podcast, we discuss topics near and far from personal finance. Any questions or comments, I can be reached at mark.penziner at bernstein.com or call me directly at 212-969-6655. Well, today we're going to talk all things real estate. Rates are up. There's discussions from some about housing prices falling. There's lack of inventory. A lot is happening in that space. And to learn all about it and discuss it. Today, I'm joined by Jed Lewin, former recovering attorney and broker and leader and founder of the Lewin team at the agency. Jed, thanks for taking the time today. Thanks for having me, Mark. I'm excited. Um, I know people want to hear what your forecast is for the market, but I thought it might even be better to, to take this from the buyer and seller perspective and the whole process of buying or selling either a home or an apartment, right? Because you don't wake up one day and say, I want to sell my place or I want to buy my place. It's something you noodle about for a while. Um, so how far in advance, it may be different as a buyer or a seller. Should someone be contacting an agent like yourself to say, I'm thinking about this. How do I approach it? It's a great question. And it's one that I wish more people asked and thought about. Um, but the answer is immediately. Like it, it doesn't matter how far out this is in your head and your mind. The answer is the second you start thinking about, I need to buy a place, I want to buy a place, I eventually want to sell my home. Um, that is the time you contact a broker. Um, if it's if it's six months, if it's two months, if it's six years, um, you need to start working together to formulate the best possible strategy for you. And um, sometimes that takes a lot of time. It's interesting you said even years, because that was going through the back of my head that I'm assuming there are times you get called in to an apartment or a house by a seller and you think, hey, this isn't ready for sale yet. Um, so, so what are the things that sometimes you're talking to potential sellers about to, to make their, their home, apartment, et cetera, more ready for sale, to increase value, to get it to the peak? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, a lot of it depends on the, the specific needs of the seller. So, you know, the threshold question is, are you going to be living here during this process or are you decamping elsewhere? Um, because those two things sort of change my recommendations. Um, basic things always is begin the process of decluttering as soon as possible. That's the thing that most people have the most difficulty with is letting go of all the all the things you accumulate over the years. Um, I always recommend a paint job, basically regardless of how recently the apartment was painted, there's going to be some things that need touching up and a, just a simple fresh coat of white paint does absolute wonders for, for any property. Um, I typically prefer to stage apartments um, because what you wanna do is have people come into the home for 10 minutes and think immediately, not, wow, these people have bad taste or look at all this junk around here or look at all these private family photos. It's, wow, this is a beautiful home that I could be, I can see my stuff in here. Um, I know exactly where the furniture is going to go based on where this beautiful staged furniture is. Um, and I love it. And in 10 minutes, I'm walking out the door with a really positive feeling. When a seller does that, the fresh coat of paint, the declutter, and I'm going to ask more questions on the declutter in a second, the staging. Um, it's it's done to maximize value, but I assume there's some cost outlay. Um, 
it's probably an obvious question, but I'm assuming there's an ROI, there's a return on investment for that cost outlay, right? There absolutely is. Um, because the, the vast benefit to painting and decluttering and staging is it reduces the time the property sits on the market. Um, it's much easier to sell something that's clean and fresh and staged than it is something that's tired and worn and lived in. Um, and what that translates to um, is speed to contract. And what speed to contract translates to, and there's a direct correlation, um, is maximizing sales price. Why is that? Well, every 30 days that a property sits on a market, you can anticipate an additional three to 5% reduction in the price you're going to get. So if you get a contract, property into contracts in the first two weeks, you're going to get very close to your asking price, if not more. Um, once you've been on for 30 days, you're going to start to get some lower offers. Once you've been on for 60 days, you are going to start to get the, the sharks coming in. And beyond 90 days, that's when people think, oh boy, these, these poor desperate losers um, are going to be grateful for whatever scraps I throw them. And I'm going to submit an offer 25% below their asking price. So there's that real mentality of um, if you don't get it into contract quickly, you're going to have people try to take advantage of you. That's so why getting it prepared to be in tip top shape hand in hand was priced appropriately is what gets you a deal quick. And I guess it's not even that I'm trying to sell my place quick. It's that I'm trying to avoid the sharks and the low ball offers and, and getting, I guess, I guess the term you guys would use is get, get stale. Right. Exactly. Because stale listings get fewer views, stale listings get fewer showings. Um, and what you need is to maximize the number of eyeballs on your property and the number of feet in your property as quickly as possible. So that's why we try and do as much pre-listing marketing to build a buzz before the property even hits the market so that you're, you're coming to market with momentum and ideally getting the listing into, into contract within the first two weeks. Now, I, I want to go back to something you said, declutter. Um, for people who lived in a house, let alone an apartment for years, Clutter's everywhere, right? Everywhere. Um, right, so, so decluttering is a challenge. Um, are there professional service providers? I'm not asking you to refer, but at the moment that you, that you say, we bring in or we recommend because decluttering could actually be so paralyzing, people can't do it? Absolutely. Um, and, and we recommend that to many people, um, particularly people who've been in a home for a very long time. It can be challenging. Um, I'm working with a couple right now who's been in a home for 50 years and they have um, their 50 years worth of life in this apartment, plus um, each of their parents passed away and they didn't really know what to do with their stuff. So their parents' stuff is in this apartment um, and there's just stacks and piles and boxes everywhere. Um, and that is a really daunting thing to attack. Um, you know, a, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, but it's the first step that most people have the most trouble with. So yeah. yes, we recommend professional services, decluttering services all the time. Um, there, there's one that has an unfortunate name, but they're very good, um, junk luggers, uh, because, you know, 
people think, well, you know, my stuff is has value. It's not junk, but um, it doesn't have value if no one's going to take it or buy it. Um, so it, that that can be challenging for people, um, particularly things like heirlooms or, or collectibles or tchotchkes or, you know, things that were in favor 40, 50 years ago that are no longer in favor. There's no market for them. Um, there's no market for used books anymore. There's no market for um, China to speak of. Um, so people have held on to these things for a very long time and now they need to get rid of them. But it doesn't, I, I would assume it doesn't mean you have to get rid of them, at least for the, the showing process, you got to get them somewhere else, right? Whether it's another property or storage, it's, it's just get Absolutely. it out here. Absolutely. And if you want to put it in your next place, God bless you. But we, we don't want to show with that. Exactly. Exactly. And as little personal stuff, I, I recommend getting rid of all the family photos, um, you know, little things like that. Um, because what you're trying to do is make a space as inviting and as neutral to as many people as possible. And you don't want people stopping to look at family photos and wondering what those people's lives were like in that home. You want people just walking through and envisioning what their life would be like in that space. There's a lot of psychology in all of this. There is in everything, real estate. Um, let me transfer to the buyer side for a second. If, if you're a buyer, and we'll talk more about timing in the market in a second, but what does a buyer need to have in place? Um, obviously they don't have to prepare the apartment, but are there financing documents? Um, tax reports, pre-approvals, are there things they, they should be doing in advance so that when they walk into Jed's office, they're, they're really a buyer? Yeah, uh, another great question that most people just think, well, I, I, I make a lot of money now, so I'm ready to buy. Um, and in New York City, where uh, I operate, we deal primarily with co-ops and condos. And co-ops and condos have their own sets of rules and requirements about um, what types of assets and what types of income you need to purchase in their in their corporation or in their building. Um, so to come to me right away, as soon as you're expressing any interest in being able to purchase, allows me to help walk you through the process of understanding post-closing liquidity, understanding down payment requirements, understanding um, debt to income ratio, understanding uh, working with a lender, to help you really understand your buying power, given the current rate regime we're seeing, given um, how you need to maintain a certain debt to income ratio to qualify for a building or to qualify for a bank. And debt in this case um, really just means fixed monthly expenses and income is fixed gross monthly income. Are there um, different ratios that one needs to have depending on if they're buying a condo a co-op or they're just buying a private private piece of property yeah and and the different ratios occur in three different in in three different ways the down payment so um in most condos you can put down as little as 10 percent in most co-ops you'll be required to put down a minimum of 20 percent do you help people come up with their budget i do um, and also I work hand in hand with lenders who help people come up with their budgets as well. And financial advisors like yourself, who, who are able to understand people's liquidity, um, just from an institutional standpoint, 
So having to, you know, if you're buying a million dollar co-op, you need to have um, much more money than you need to buy a million dollar condo. And that's because you can, you need to put down at least double the amount you would put down in a condo. You need to have much more money left over. The post-closing liquidity is a, a much larger factor on purchasing a co-op. Um, and co-ops are much more rigorous when they're screening for the debt to income ratio. Typically, we want to see debt to income ratio of 25% or lower. Got it. Not really a concern in a condo. Right. Because in a condo, it's you're sort of on your own, but in a co-op, right. you're sort of part owner of a business, a building, but a it's, business. Right. You, are, you are applying for membership in a really exclusive club, essentially. <laughs> You're becoming right. a business partner and a co-investor in a corporation and you get shares of stock in that corporation. Um, so they want to make sure that you are going to be not just a good neighbor, but a good business partner in their business, which is the corporation. Um, you mentioned a lot of your work is in New York, New York City. I'm curious what you think of the market now. And I, I realize that is a very broad question and we'll probably have to drill down on it. But I'm sure at cocktail party, someone says, oh, you're a real estate agent. What do you think of the market? What, what's your take? Yeah. Well, I always try and ask, um, where do you live when I, when I pose that question? Because there, there's not really a lot of benefit unless you're sort of an institutional investor um, in knowing about the market in New York City. So we're, we're little micro markets. And are you talking about two bedrooms, two bathrooms, uh, co-ops on the Upper East Side? Are you talking about um, three bedroom, three bathroom condo in a new development um, in Tribeca? You know, there, there are so many different combinations and permutations that I try to figure out what market people are talking about. But really broadly speaking, um, the market is doing very well. Um, we get the majority of our data related to the luxury market. So um, the Ocean Report comes out every week and is really instructive on um, in the luxury market, which is which Ocean defines as four million and up. Um, what's the activity? What's the weekly activity in contracts and how many new properties are coming to market? So last week, for instance, which was the shortened week with President's Day, we had 23 contracts signed in the luxury market. Now that's um, a little bit off from the week. Uh, that same week the year prior, but the 10-year historical average of President's Day week in the luxury market is 25 contracts a week. So we were at 23 last week. So we're we're exactly in the 10-year average of where contracts are signed in President's Day week, which is great. And it just indicates that, you know, the people who are thinking, well, the market has crashed or the market is about to crash, um, that, that is simply not true. Um, the market is not going to crash, has not crashed. And in fact, um, all the data we've seen coming out of StreetEasy in terms of buyer searching in January and February, the data we've just seen, we also get a lot of information about open houses. Um, the open house attendance this past week was up 11% from the week prior. And the week prior was up from the week before that. So we're seeing a ton of buyer activity, which combined with sort of a lack of inventory still is leading to not lower prices, higher prices. Demand is outpacing supply. Uh, so I, I think you're, you're already answered it, or maybe you're leading to the answer. I was going to ask, why do you think that is? 
right? Because in, in my world, right, I'm, I'm capital markets all day. We touched on this very briefly. Everything's about interest rates. And interest rates are higher, so mortgage costs are higher. So for the, the me who doesn't live in the New York City real estate market, I think rates are up. That means carrying costs are higher. Ooh, that's dangerous for real yeah. estate. Um, but you've got as much activity as you have prior, and you got more foot traffic in um, open houses. You just said. So what's driving it? Well, housing is a fundamental need, um, and you need meaning you need a place to live, regardless of who you are. Um, rents are at near all-time highs. They're slightly crazy. off their all-time high of a year and a half ago, um, but they're still quite near all-time highs. Um, so it is becoming almost impossible for people to rent an affordable apartment. And when the the delta between what it would cost to rent and the delta and what it would cost to buy is insignificant, you are much better off buying, particularly over a, a longer period of time. So high rents combined with the interest rates have actually come down quite a bit off of their um, off of their highs of a few months ago. Um, and as soon as they came down, um, buyer activity increased dramatically and contract activity increased dramatically. Um, it's that it's that obvious. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, coming on a million dollars, um, a point is an extra $500 a month in your carrying costs. So when they come down um, a point on a million dollar loan, you you just save $500 a month. You're saving $6,000 a year, which is, you know, not insignificant. So in, at the lower price points, you know, the starter homes, the $600,000 homes, the $700,000 homes, the high interest rates are still having a, a outsized impact because that um that increase in carrying cost makes ownership potentially prohibitive um at a higher price point in the luxury price point and you know in the two three four twelve fifty million dollar homes um the difference in interest rate is rather insignificant it's interesting you bring up the the difference in interest rate being rather insignificant because it makes me think about uh, are cash buyers more desired in that environment or does cash become even more king in that environment where someone's got to pay an extra $500 a month and they're getting kind of squeezed or the, or the seller thinks about, I don't know if this person can actually close if rates move is, is cash. Like, I would assume cash is always desirable, but is it more desirable now? Cash is always desirable, but it, it is not, it, it is not king. Um, that's sort of a misconception that, particularly people with cash think it's a distinguishing feature. It's a, it's a differentiator between two equal or essentially equal offers. Um, cash carries much less risk of exactly what we were talking about. The, the buyer being able to qualify for a mortgage. Um, and also the co-op viewing their debt to income ratio. If, if the rates go up, their debt to income ratio goes up. Um, that could put them on the borderline and make them less desirable to the co-op board. Um, so cash is, it's just less risky um, and it makes things move more quickly, but it is not, um, it's not leverage to say, well, I'm paying cash. Therefore I'm entitled to a 20% discount, which is the mentality of some cash buyers. Um, it's, it's a, all other things being equal, you would rather have the cash buyer than the finance buyer. Are there any other distinguishing features? 
Well, you look at holistically at the entire package of, you know, the, the particular buyer's assets, um, their income, where the income is coming from. Are they self-employed? Are they W-2? Um, what kind of post-closing liquidity do they have? Um, some buildings will look for something as simple as 24 months of mortgage and maintenance left over in liquid or semi-liquid assets. Some buildings will look for three to four X the purchase price left over in liquid assets. So, you know, you need to look holistically at the buyer and you need to take into account the idiosyncrasies of whatever um, building you're selling into. Um, you talked about supply demand. It made me wonder about new construction and new construction coming online and what that looks like and, and maybe even to broaden it. Um, there's a lot of commercial space that a lot of people theorize is going to need to get repurposed with people working from home. So mm -hmm. I was curious if there's also any, um, and it's two questions combined, I didn't mean to do that, but if there's any talk in your world about more conversions and more residential becoming available because the office space just won't work. That, that's always something that's been discussed. Um, I think the impact it would have on the housing market would be several years, if not a decade away. Got you, know, you, you would need to rezone, which is not an overnight process. Good you would point. To, right. You need to convert, which is not an overnight process. You need to, you know, retrofit um, a you know fifteen thousand square foot floor of each floor of an office building to accommodate the plumbing and the infrastructure necessary for um, residential living. Um, it, and the company it, that's going to do that is going to be borrowing money in a much more costly environment to do that project, right? Exactly, so right? exactly right. So on the commercial side, the difference in interest rates from three to six is um, catastrophic um, when, you're, when you're borrowing construction costs like that. So... And, and then you're also asking those developers to take a gamble that when the project is completed in six years, seven years, that the residential space still has more value than commercial space would have rebounded to. And I don't know that anyone's able to predict that, but- And, maybe and how's inventories today and, and how's new stuff coming online today that's been worked on for prior years? I, I missed the question. How's, how's inventory today and, and how's new construction and new projects coming online today? I know there are some reports that your industry looks at that says, wow, there's a lot that's going to hit the market in 2023 or 2024. What, what is, what's that data look like now? Yeah, well, there, there is a lot of inventory. There's still a lot of construction that's going on. Um, there was a pause um, during COVID. There was um, some of the projects were reconfigured as rentals. Um, once the rental market went sky high. Um, some of the projects were um, paused because the cost of continuing to borrow um, made completion prohibitive at the moment. Um, but yeah, there's there's new stuff coming on. There's There's been tons of new construction in the last several years, um, but we will it will still not meet demand. And most of the new construction is luxury. So by building affordable housing, building affordable units, um, middle income units um, is not lucrative. So what developers have been doing is spending lots of money on ultra high end properties with ultra high end amenities um, 
And I don't know that the demand is there for those properties right now. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how quickly they sell. Well, that's a great example of Manhattan's not a large island, but there's, oh God knows, a dozen markets in, in it, not just location-wise, price point, right? It, 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 forget neighborhoods. There, there's probably 20 different price points and location markets on this island that you would have 20 different answers for about how real estate's doing. That's right. And even, even neighborhoods that you wouldn't typically associate with new condo development, like the Upper West Side, um, is seeing a huge boom. Um, there's, I think, six brand new buildings nearing completion or midway through construction um, that are all starting. You know, the, the lowest priced home is going to be starting in the two million range. Some of them start in the four million range. So to um, that, that's going to take a lot of money to absorb that many units at that price. Jed, this was super helpful. I really appreciate you joining. Um, and, and let me just share with the, the audience, best way to contact you, Jed, is jed.lewin at theagencyre.com. Do I have that correct? That is correct. And the office phone is 917-609-0466. Jed, I appreciate your time today. Mark, pleasure as always. Thank you so much for having me. To our listeners, feel free to email me at mork.penziner at bernstein.com, or as always, you can call me at 212-969-6655. For any questions or comments on this podcast or any other related topic, and make sure to like or review this podcast wherever you listen to it. Until next time.